Philippians 2:19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God have mercy on him, and not on him, but also on me, to spare, sorrow, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And then the second passage that we're reading is um, Philippians 4, and it's closing appeal for steadfastness and unity. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Plead with Euodia, and I plead with Setinchi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Louise. Okay, so we're continuing this series in uh, Philippians. And I I suppose I want to take maybe a a couple of uh, liberties uh, this morning with the text, Uh, maybe not to follow it quite as closely as uh, we're given to doing. Um, But that's because I want to address something that I think is really, really important for our congregation. It's important for us as the church uh, generally. Um, it's an important thing that I want us to discuss. But I think particularly in terms of our church and, and the journey, uh, where we're at as a church, I think it's particularly important. And that thing that I want to discuss is friendship. I think that comes across really clearly in this passage. And we've been following the, uh, the story of uh, the church in Philippi. And we've met this congregation, this community that Paul himself planted probably around AD 49. He he showed up to Philippi, a colony of Rome, and and he went outside the city because there was no synagogue, weren't enough uh, Jewish men to form a synagogue, and there was this group of people worshiping, led by this uh, dealer in purple cloth, Lydia. He shows up there, and she's a formidable woman. She's an incredible leader. And so uh, he leads her and a group of uh, people with her to faith. And they form the the heart of this church in this place. And a lot of what he's been saying to them is, uh, in this letter as we've been reading it so far, is just to encourage them, to say, look, you've been doing really well. You are doing excellently. 
uh, in, a, in a number of different ways, and he wants to put the vision uh, of where they're to be headed before them. And he does that superbly in chapter 2 by telling them to look and keep their attention on Christ Jesus. He is to be their model. But there are a couple of corrections that he wants to offer them as well. And one of those, particularly, we come across in that second chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, uh, in terms of the relationship between these two women, particularly Euodia and Syntyche. It's the best guess I've got for their names and their pronunciation. Because in the midst of their life together, naturally, uh, things have been tense at times. And there's these two particular people uh, that have been disagreeing. And and any disagreement in in any family, as you've probably experienced over Christmas, some of you, can have wider ramifications for the whole. It's not possible to have a problem between two people in a family that doesn't affect the whole system. And so Paul's saying, look, you guys have to get along. There's There's a bigger thing at play here. And in the community of the church, friendship is so key. It's so key. And Paul actually is a great model of this for us. Now, Paul was a formidable man. He's one of these people that if you met him today, you'd just, be, you'd just find him really annoying because he's just good at everything. You know, Paul just had, he, he spoke th- at least three languages and wrote and read in them Aramaic. Uh, he spoke Latin and also Greek. He was, he was um, uh, scholarly. He was, very, he was a great intellectual one of the great minds of his day, uh, grew up as a, a young Jewish scholar. He was uh, somebody who was schooled in Phariseeism, so he took the law very seriously. In fact, he was so good at, uh, at being a, a, a Pharisee that he actually began to persecute Christians. He was brilliant at that. Uh, and then he met with God really powerfully. He met with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his whole life was turned upside down. And then he became a great church planter. You know, I, I mean, Amen, I've been sweating away for the last year uh, doing this. It's really hard. And, and he just does it seemingly effortless, not just once, but all over the place. He's an incredible church planter. He's a great writer, not just a theologian, but also a writer, or at least a dictator. Thirteen letters in the New Testament were, were penned, or at least uh, spoken, penned by somebody else, spoken by him. He was a man of massive vision. He had a vision for his life that was so compelling, so huge, and here it was, to speak to every Gentile about the gospel of Jesus Christ. To go where uh, the gospel hadn't already been named and to name the name Jesus. He was the one of the most influential men, people in history. The German theologian Paul Wernler asks the question, what was Paul's secret as, mi- as missionary to the Gentiles? Was it his intellect? What is it, was it his passion, his commitment to seeing the world changed? Was it his linguistic ability, his education? After eliminating the traditional responses, Wernler suggested that Paul's key strategy, his key advantage was, and I quote, that Paul was the first man in antiquity to open up his heart. To open up his heart. What distinguished Paul from everyone else around him, it would seem, was his ability to open his heart, to be vulnerable, to form deep relationships, to form friendships, and to keep them, to maintain them. And he worked very hard at that. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've read the New Testament, or maybe you've 
learned a bit about Paul, this might surprise you. He's, he's as a character, he's an interesting character because he's often portrayed a bit like a bully, right? If you've read the letter he writes to the Galatians, I mean, he is, the, the tone of that letter, the, probably the, if you were going to pick a color for that letter, it would be red. The tone of that letter is sort of bordering on rage, I would say. It's like controlled and not all that controlled, rage. In, in, the, in the letters to the Corinthians, particularly the second one, uh, I, I guess it's like anguish bordering on manipulation. There actually are moments where you just think, oh, that's a bit too far. You can't say that. You, you can't do that. That is not politically correct, Paul. You're not allowed to do that. But actually, within all this is a huge amount of tenderness as well. You read about Paul's relationship with Timothy in some of the, in the first and second Timothy. Uh, like a father to a son, so I was with you. Come on, Timothy. There's this, this exaltation that comes from deep relationship. Paul was a deeply relational person. There's a lot we can learn from him, and there's a lot that we need to learn from him. As a church, I'm not talking about the, the church, I'm talking about Trinity Church. And why? Why now? You know, the very brief history of this church, we're only about a year old. Uh, a few of us wandered into Nottingham, September the 1st, uh, last year, year before last now, 2016. And, and naturally, we gathered uh, together as I mean, in fact, I had my journal out the other day, the, the journal that I um, started sort of this journey with, and I, rem- I wrote down everyone who came to the first gathering. I counted 15 people. In our house, Thursday night, we just gathered and we prayed with some of the people that had showed up. Now, friendship within the context of that was very easy. Here's why. We knew no one else. You know, we were the only people uh, that any of us knew in Nottingham, so that's quite easy. And naturally around that, there was a sense of shared uh, task, shared mission. Uh, you know, we hung out a lot and everything else. And quite quickly, though, that group grew. We started to do worship and wait upstairs, if some of you remember that. Well, that was where we gathered in the freezing cold upstairs uh, on Sunday evenings, really late, oppressively late. So if you had a life on a Monday morning, it was difficult to come. We made it a very high bar early on. <clears throat> And we gathered and we worshiped together and friendships were formed, but it was a bit more difficult because it gets bigger. And then we moved into St. Barnabas, sort of January uh, in 2017. And again, the thing grows. And, and so if you're coming into the place, it becomes a bit more difficult to, to know who's, who are sort of the, the gatekeepers to friendship and relationship. Who's going to invite me around for dinner? And we said very specifically, what we want you to do, we're not going to put anything on right now. We're not going to formalize this. We're not going to give you structures. Uh, we're not going to help you do this, basically, is what we said. Um, but we encourage you. We encourage you to go and have dinner with one another. In other words, what we were trying to do is build a culture where friendship was normative rather than sort of spoon-feeding everyone, saying, look, we've got to all take responsibility for this. And I know that some of you have done a brilliant job with that. And I know for others of you, you've done a great job, but it's been hard. And now we're at a point where we've you know, 200 or so people coming pretty regularly. If you walk in now to this place, it's more difficult for you to make friends than it was for us at the beginning. And we know that. We know it's more difficult. Just naturally, that's just, a, that's just a human dynamic. If you come into a room with more people, how, who do you pick? How do you, how do you figure it out? You're less likely to be noticed. For some of you, that's glorious. You don't want to be noticed. But for others, that's created some frustration. We've always had an emphasis, and we always will, on the presence of God. And, and here's, the, here's the reason for that in terms of friendship. We, we've sort of had this... Uh, 
philosophy, this, this hope, this trust, that when we get together in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit will form a community. That's what he does. And he has done it. And yet that's not easy. That's not been uh, without disappointment for some. That's not been without difficulty. And the present situations that we are, a, a wonderful family. That I, we, we absolutely love this church. I would, if, 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 if Amy and I weren't involved in leading this church, this is absolutely the church I'd want to be in. I just think it's fantastic. I think you guys are amazing. There's so many just interesting uh, people here that God has just sp- spoken to in incredible ways over some of them many decades, other than others uh, really recently. God is at work here. This is, a, this is a great place to be. But we want the tone, the feel, the, the vibe <laughs> to persist. We want people here to be able to form friendships. We don't just want to be a, a friendly church. We want to be a church where people can make friends. Lifelong friends. And so we're beginning to put into a structure what that might look like. And you'll see more of that. But before we get to structure, I want to again put before you that culture is far more important than structure. Always. And it isn't enough for Amy and I or Will and Vicky or whoever else is on our leadership team to embody this or to tell you about this. We together, if we want to be a church where people can make friends, we together have to figure out what it means to be good friends. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Why does friendship matter? Why should we want, this is the first question, why does it matter? Why does it matter to the church? Why should it matter? Why can't we just go on and live these atomized, individualized lives? The kind of lives that uh, the culture is pushing us towards. The kind of lives we wander around in the presence of other people. And even though we've got living human beings in front of us, we're just on our freaking phone. Why can't we live those kinds of lives? Why isn't that enough to do that? A little bit of passion there. (laughs) It's not enough because it's not what God made us for. God did not make us to interact with technology and call that a human life. Now, technology is a great gift to us. Insofar as it enables us to connect with other humans. But quite quickly, the gift becomes the idol and we begin to serve technology. Becomes our God. This isn't the church. It's not what we're called to do. Actually, we need friendship, we need relationship, and particularly fr- friendship is a, a unique kind of relationship. I read uh, somebody who said it's, it's the greatest invention humans have ever made, ever come up with. Better than the iPhone. You heard it here first. <laughs> Other technology and phones are available. The reason we need friendships is you cannot be fully human without friendship. God makes the all of creation, I've just been reading it in the Bible in a Year thing, the app that I'm going through. He makes it all, and he, and he says it's good, and then he gets to make, making Adam, which literally means man in Hebrew, and he says it's very good. Love what I've done. I'm good at this. And he gives Adam a particular role. He gives humankind a particular role. He says, you're, gonna, you're my image bearer. You're going to reflect who I am to the whole of creation. You're going to do what I've been doing. Hey, you've seen what I've been doing these first six days. I've been pretty busy. 
Can you just go and do that? You carry on doing that. That's what it means to be an image bearer. Go on, reflect. Bring order where you see chaos. Extend the boundaries of Eden so it will encompass the whole of creation. That's your job. And he says, hang on, oh gosh. I've missed something. And you hear these words. The first time God says, not good in creation. It's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. You can't live as a human uh, in isolation and be healthy. Alcoholics Anonymous have a phrase to say, when you isolate, you're sick. You've probably heard me say that before. And yet we live so, such isolated lives, but in order to be human, fully human, we need an experience of friendship. But it's not just that. In order to be a disciple of Jesus, we need an experience of friendship. Jesus was a great friend. Wherever he went, he found friends. In fact, lots of people found him because they heard he was such a good friend. A friend to sinners, to tax collectors, a friend to, I love this word, scoundrels, ragamuffins, people like you and people like me. It's good news Jesus is a friend to sinners. I've never been more aware of my sin than I was yesterday looking after my four children. <laughs> Seriously, the work of the Holy Spirit will make us aware of our need, of our sin. And it's in that moment that we find, in the moment that we experience our own sinfulness, that we experience the Savior saying, I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. Let me be your friend. If you're here this morning and you feel broken and you feel shame and you feel guilt and you feel you've not even lived up to your own, your own expectations, your own expectations for yourself, whether uh, financially or morally or whatever, this morning, hear this, Jesus wants to be your friend, your friend. And he wants to introduce you to his father who also wants to be your friend. We need friendships to be Jesus' disciples. He calls us into friendship. We need friendships to be fully human. We experience this, don't we? How God mediates, Jesus mediates friendship with him through other people. Making us more fully human, making us more his friends. It was a period of my life, after my time at university, where I was just in so much pain. And largely I was in pain because of uh, some stuff in my family history that I hadn't dealt with. I'd never dealt with it. I'd never really been aware of it. But I was, I was so angry. I was deeply, deeply full of rage. And that had led me whilst at university just to, just to mess stuff up just because I could. It's a film, isn't it? I've not seen the film, but um, it's one of, the, one of the great films. I think it was the 50s and it's a cowboy film. I should know the name of it. And there's a guy in it called Johnny, and the guy goes to him and says, you know, basically, what are you rebelling against, Johnny? And he says, what do you got? <laughs> that's how I was at university. What is there, you know? What is there to rebel against, to rage against? That's what I'm going to pick. And for me, it was the church, because I'd seen a lot of the church growing up, and it was God. And I left university broken, and I'd torn apart a lot of what um, God had built up in my life, a lot of the grace that was around me. And I came to London just lost. You know what saved me? Friendship. 
Pete Hughes, B. Hughes, a cousin and his wife, said, Johnny, you're moving to London. Come stay. Come stay on our sofa. And I did. I went to stay on their sofa. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have been able to stick it in London. Which is where God did a lot of healing in my life were it not for them. Stayed on their sofa. They loved me. I must have been... I was right in the way, right in the middle of their, their front room. Just, they just loved me. They, their love healed me. Their love enabled me to get involved in the church. Uh, I realized through that that the church wasn't a place of judgment. It wasn't a place of, uh, it was a place of love. You know, my relationship with Amy, my, my wife, is that I, has done this so much in my life. It, good relationships restore. I didn't want to give that example, though, because some of us think that, and we're, t- we're sold the lie that it's got to be a romantic thing. It doesn't. This is one of the great lies that the culture has told us. You know, you cannot, you cannot be human without relationship. But you can be human without sexual relationship. One of the great lies the culture has taught us is that you need to be in a sexual relationship in order to be fully human. It's not true. But you do need to be in relationship. We need to be relationship to be fully human. Which is another way of saying we need friendship to become holy. I love the vision of holiness as wholeness, completeness, oneness, integration, if you like. And friendships help us become whole. Don't hear me say they're easy. They're very difficult. If you engage in any serious friendship, get ready for disappointment. It's coming. And if you've not been disappointed, you haven't been anyone's friend. And you have been a disappointment to somebody. I hate to break it to you. The, the kind of friendships that lead us towards holiness are difficult friendships at times. I remember one uh, situation. I was in New York. Any story that begins with, I was in New York, is a story worth hearing. <laughs> and I was with my friend, a guy called Todd Proctor, uh, who led the church that we worked at in California and a group of other guys. And I was sitting in, it gets better. I was in the Empire State Building. Yeah. In uh, somebody who we just met's office. And this other guy is a very impressive Christian leader. Somebody who I was out to impress, really wanted to impress. I was just, and honestly, he was speaking about his vision for his life and for church. I was so compelled. I mean, this guy could, you know, sell dirt to a gardener. This guy was, he's so compelling. He could have been talking about the phone book and I I would have wanted to buy one. But he was talking about the church and his own vision for his own life. And I, we're just sitting around a bit like a a meeting room table. And I just couldn't help myself. I just said, who wouldn't want to do that? That's what I said. And (laughs) And in the midst of this sort of quite serious meeting, Todd just fixes his eyes on me and said, and says, you say, you say who wouldn't want, want to do that, but what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Why aren't you doing it? Why are you just, why are you just, I don't know what he said, but why aren't you doing it? You're just sort of, you're afraid, you're, you're not pursuing it. What's up, what's going on? Just called me out. He reamed me right in the middle of this group. And there's this guy here just sort of sitting there awkwardly. I've talked about it with him since. And then some other friends of mine just watching. And then we walk down Fifth Avenue, like, you know, just walking together, just, and we're just having it out, and the others are just like, oh, I'm just going to leave them to it. Todd, in that moment, loved me enough 
to challenge me. He saw the great obstacle in my life to me becoming who I was meant to be. And it was fear. And he called it out in that moment. And I'm eternally grateful that he did. Friendships help us to become more whole. How then is it done? How might we become these sorts of people? How can we become more whole? By becoming undefended. Or to put it back into the language that we started with, by opening up our hearts. By becoming like Paul, people who open up our heart. What does that look like in practice? How do we do that? How can we become people who don't have barriers and guards up all the time? You know, I, just over Christmas, I, one of the things I, I love New Year, I love a time just to, just to get in God's presence and say, Lord, what is it you want for this year in my life? And um, I was really surprised by one of the things he said this year. He said, I, to me, I want you to develop deeper friendships. And the reason I was surprised is because I thought I was good at it. And the Holy Spirit actually showed me this Christmas that I have, uh, I have a fear of intimacy. There's a, there is a fear deep in me that I fear intimacy. And particularly, I noticed that where, uh, I even noticed this sometimes uh, in my marriage. I noticed it with my friends, with other, uh, relationships with other people. If people give me a compliment, I find it awkward. You ever do that? I feel like, oh gosh, I screwed up. So what, what do I do? I make a joke make a joke just to try and deflect it. It's too awkward. I, the intimacy of receiving a compliment from someone else sometimes painful. And I felt the Lord say, I want to invest in friendships. I don't want you to be somebody who in 30 years' time has got a load of acquaintances and no friends, no deep friends. How am I going to do that? How are we going to do that? Firstly, by, de- by developing our friendship with Jesus. If you want to be somebody who has great friends... Pursue friendship with Jesus. Why? Well, loads of reasons. Let me give you two. Firstly, if you pursue relationship with Jesus, he's going to, bit by bit, inch by inch, inch by inch, he's going to heal your heart. It's going to take a lifetime. What an adventure. There is no greater adventure. Do it. Pursue him. Pursue him when you feel like it. Pursue him when you don't. That's why practices are important. Build habits in your life of pursuing Jesus. Because he's bit by bit, not in some kind of A to B in a straight line way, but in a meandering and disappointing and exhilarating way. He will heal you. He will enable you to be the kind of person who can create and, and build more whole friendships. Secondly, what he will do, he will show you the most important thing that you could possibly learn. And that's that you are not the center of the universe. And that truth will enable you more than any other truth to build friendships. He will enable you to die to yourself, to die to your own agenda for friendship. And that's essential in forming good friendships. So invest in a relationship with him. Secondly, uh, develop a pattern of serving somebody else. Paul speaks about this. See, I did have the Bible open in preparation for this sermon. Speaks about this in in the context of his relationship with Timothy and Epaphroditus. Listen to what he says about Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him. 
who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out to their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. He served with me like a son with his father. Everyone else looks out for their own interests, but not Timothy. If we want to create great friendships, we have to practice the art of self-forgetfulness. So many of us go into a friendship thinking, is this person going to be a good friend to me? Am I going to get a good friendship out of this? That is the wrong starting point. If you want to make great friends, become a great friend. Pursue somebody else. Serve them. Go after what? Uh, go after serving them. Try and build them up. Encourage them. The very thing you want from them, give it to them. Bless them. If you really want to follow Jesus, do it with an enemy. Make a friend of an enemy. You know, Jesus says this stuff and he actually expects that we'll do it. Imagine if we did that. Imagine if every one of us this week chose an enemy and you're like, I don't have any enemies. Self-deception. If you chose an enemy in Nottingham and made them by serving them persistently, somebody in your workplace, somebody in your family, this week, persistently, choose to doggedly go after them and encourage them. If they curse you, bless them. I guarantee within six weeks you'll have a friend and there'll be less chaos and evil in the world. Thirdly, we need to let go of our ideal. Some of you who are pursuing a romantic relationship, you need to hear this. But actually it's also true in friendship. In order to make great friendship, we have to let go of our ideal. Nothing crushes friendship like the ideal of friendship. You know, Amy, Amy and I were in America, as we said, three and a half years. really important part of our story. It's probably why we bang on about it so much. And when we were there, we spent all of our time comparing the friends we had in America to the friends we had in London. Oh, my gosh. If only we had a friend like Pete and B in America. Oh, if only. And, you know, and da, 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 da. just complaining. And then we left America. And we were heartbroken. There was this gap in our hearts you know, we were no Doug and Angela in England. No Todd and Lisa. And we realized what we'd done. We'd been so busy idealizing the friends of the past, we didn't accept the gift of the friends that God had in front of us, right in front of us. We need to let go of the ideals we have and just receive, accept one another for who we are, not what we're not. I am not the perfect pastor. I'm not even close. Neither is Amy. Even Will has flaws. <laughs> Not sure about Vicky yet, but. <laughs> but we're the best you're going to get for now. And that's okay. And that's the point, is that we get to work out friendship together. It's messy. Letting go of the ideal. And finally, we need to take the risk of becoming undefended of opening up our heart. Now, for some of us, this is very painful because we have a strong experience of rejection, a strong experience of pain in this area. I see often in church life that the people who have, people who have a strong experience of rejection and struggle 
uh, to bring it into the light. What happens is that, that their strong experience ends up recapitulating itself again and again. They, they end up rehearsing and, and almost, uh, you see the same thing happen again and again. It's, it's almost as if it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We have to work. It is hard work. We have to work to open up our hearts to one another. It's like something, it's like a tender flower opening at spring. And it's the most beautiful thing when there's been a season of winter. We together can encourage one another to do that. And it's as we do that that we're enabled to grow in friendship. John Wimber said, intimacy comes through self-disclosure. You want to figure out how to build a friendship, give a little bit of, of something away that matters to you. Don't do it with everyone. Don't, don't be undiscerning in it. It's okay to be discerning. It's okay to have discernment. But when you fight, when you fit, Lord, is this somebody you're sending into my life? Tell them something that matters to you. Share your life with them. Don't be defended. Open up your heart. You will be disappointed at times. But this adventure of developing friendship is, is the greatest adventure we can go on. What difference will it make? Well, a community of friends is a healing community. And we all need healing. A community of friends is a holy community. And we all need to grow into wholeness. And a community of friends is an attractive community. And this city is waiting for an invitation to friendship. In the midst of a culture which is so deeply isolated and anxious, why don't we offer Nottingham the gift of friendship? Let's stand.